Welcome to the 96th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore. It's a tough time to be an independent hog farmer in the United States. The markets are now dominated by major corporate producers who sell their hogs via exclusive contracts to a handful of packers. The result is that smaller independent farmers often find there's no place to sell their animals. And even when there is, the prices offered are far below the cost of production. Starting around the mid-1990s, an increasing number of hog farmers began looking for ways around the stranglehold the corporate livestock firms have on the industry. They did this by producing hogs for alternative markets. It turns out there are a significant number of consumers who want pork produced humanely without the use of antibiotics. And as factory farm environmental problems, such as manure spills, have become big news, a growing proportion of the public is demanding that their ham have a greener tint to it. Sustainably raised pork products are also winning taste tests. And that's important. The sustainable pork production methods utilized by farmers consist of a combination of techniques, some old and some new. On the newer side, many North American farmers have adopted the deep straw production methods utilized by Swedish producers. In addition, raising hogs on pasture, long a mainstay on family farms, has made a comeback in some areas. This alternative pork is being marketed directly to consumers, as well as through firms such as Nyman Ranch and via the certified organic market. Farmers accessing these alternative markets have found them to be a lucrative way to be rewarded for taking extra care. But challenges remain. In recent years, hog farmers of all types have found record high feed and energy prices to be major impediments to producing pork profitably. Such challenges have made developing efficiencies and sharing information between hog farmers more critical than ever. The Land Stewardship Project recently sponsored a workshop on production options for hog farmers. Featured at the workshop were Iowa State University animal scientist Dave Stender, and University of Minnesota animal scientist Yuzi Lee. Just as important, the workshop featured a panel of hog farmers who are utilizing various alternative production methods. After the workshop, I talked to Dave Stender about how rising prices for feed have impacted even alternative hog farmers and how they can adapt to such challenges. Well, yeah, for the, for years and years, since actually the 70s, we've had corn average in the 2 to 250 range um, year in, year out. and and, and in 2006, that all changed, and since then we've averaged $4, roughly twice as much corn. And, and it used to be that, um, that, that you could feed as much feed 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 a sow for a year and not get very many pigs out of her, and, and it really didn't cost you that much because the sow was gaining weight and her weight was worth value, and the corn wasn't that expensive. But the game the game now has changed, and that that um, actually feed is becoming more of an overhead cost. And, and so if you're feeding a sow now, you need, for example, to get more pigs than, than you did before two or three years ago. You just have to, the productivity has to be there to match the overhead cost of the extra dollars you got in feed. Yeah, and, and one of the things that, that caused a lot of small producers to go out of, to quit is, is because historically we, we don't get quite as many pigs per sow per year as, as, a, as a, um, confinement that's in, indoors and spending more money on buildings and labor and genetics and what what we found on this on this study and also the the traditional fair to finish guy is is that if you've got lower overhead cost that you don't need as many pigs per sow per year in order to to stay in the game now now that's why i'm saying before i said that the feed cost makes it more important to get more production 
and but um, what what we're finding is that overhead cost per sow varies tremendously, and and so if if your overhead cost per sow is say a thousand dollars to pay for your buildings and labor and all the operating costs versus somebody else that's five hundred dollars per sow, that person that has the higher overcost of course needs more pigs per sow in order to to have the same price per pig. So what are you, what are some of the things you're seeing some of the niche producers doing to kind of adapt? To, are you seeing them uh, get some more efficiencies out of those systems in the past couple of years? There is room to to um, get more efficiency out of the system, and we're gonna we 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 really can't use 30 year old technology anymore and compete with today's technology. But that doesn't mean we can't raise niche pigs in in a way that's different. But we're seeing producers adapting the technologies that are appropriate. And today in the in the workshop we were talking about one producer was using lean genetics and using hybrid vigor and and one was using artificial insemination. And you can use some of these tools that are available to increase the productivity of a niche herd just the same as it would any other herd. I think on the marketing end, one thing you talked about was if you are uh, producing a hog that maybe costs, say, 10% more than the conventional or what it would using other systems, more conventional systems, then you have to find a customer who's going to pay, who who sees that 10% more value in that animal and pay you for that. Yeah, and it's interesting because the, you know we talked about that. The panel was talking about that, and and um, I sell a few um, niche pigs as well. And the and the consumer can t- there's certain percentage of consumers can really taste the difference, and, and 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 so and some people just like it antibiotic free. Some people like to buy from small, but but capitalizing on that to um, to drive a little bit more value in the system is is of course a very good deal. Are you in general seeing in the last year or so more interest on the part of uh, farmers doing this thing or is that interest really cooled off as far as farmers? There was a lot of big interest in hoop houses a few years ago and all that. Is that still out there or is it kind of slowed down? It's kind of, it's kind of a mix. I think the there's um, when I'm talking to, to beginning farmers that want to get started there and even in the workshop we did today there's there's people that want to get into pig production and and then with but just the volatility in the corn price the volatility in the market itself and you know, what's going to happen to energy prices and and all these these things make it make the the startup bar higher and and, and it, it's a lot of risk you know we used to be able to produce a pig for a hundred dollars cost and when you got a hundred eighty dollars or two hundred dollars cost in a pig now it's just twice as much capital you're putting out and you you really can't afford to have mistakes or or backup and so so it's kind of a mixed it's a mixed bag there's still interest out there but it's it's getting tougher to get in i then talked to the land stewardship project's richard ness who has a long history of helping farmers transition into alternative livestock production systems, such as rotational grazing and deep straw hog production. Ness talked about the importance of farmer-to-farmer networking when it comes to adopting sustainable production systems. So, yes, there's there's a need for that because you can't just naturally do it. You're not going to run into three other guys when you're having coffee or you go out Friday night and get a bite to eat and run into three other niche pork farmers. That ain't going to happen. So we, we have to be real blatant about it we have to there needs to be a little bit of an organization to to help people get networks and that's important because 
people have a lot of good ideas. There's a lot of things going. You, you know, Dave Stender was talking in his talk about it's pretty tough if you put up all brand new facilities to make this work, and especially if you're starting out, you know, new and you don't really, you, you've got a learning curve besides everything else to deal with. So having, you know, learning the tricks from each other, I think that's just critically important. One of the last meetings we had in Nebraska with niche pork growers, I had I asked about five or six different experienced farmers just to share a couple little piece tricks. I asked these two guys, how do you select gilts? And a couple of people, some other details. And it was fascinating, the things I learned. I'd never heard of some of these ideas these people had on how you could pick out really good gilts and, you know, and how they would mark them from when they were born. But just different things they looked for because men with experience, women also, with, you know, decades worth of experience and lots of observation skills had picked up on that. Uh, in that case, how to select gilts. But uh, our panelists were talking about changing farrowing systems, um, you know, and how can you do that a little bit cheaper? Uh, somebody was talking about feeding crates so that you can adjust how much feed an individual sow gets. And for AIing, it works so great. And it was like, well, how can you make these yourself? And, you know, talking about Tom Franzen down in Iowa, he got some very cheap old gestation crates, modified them himself with not a lot of money, was able to come up with a really decent way to feed sows. And one of the things that was really exciting to me was there was a young woman here who said, I'm j- I re- I am on the ground floor, I don't even have a hog yet, I really want to get into this, where do I start? And all the farmers in here, including the, some of the university experts, had some great ideas, some real kind of practical ideas. Here's how you go from stage one, instead of saying, you know what, you're crazy, don't even get into it. I thought that was a really good part of the meeting. Yeah, no, I agree. And, you know, she wasn't the only one. There's a couple of, a number of other couples in here who also are just looking into getting into into pork production. Um, in one case, the, the couple have a fair amount of experience with hogs, but the other couple doesn't. And, and yeah, it's just, you know, it's so important for them to be exposed to experienced farmers people with a lot of experience who can give them warnings, who can give them tips, who can give them encouragement, you know, all of that they need. <laughs> um, and they also need exposure to a Dave Stender and a Dr. Lee because of the perspective and the, the, the fact that Dave Stender has data from all of these farms he's on. You know, and Dr. Lee has research to back up what she's talking about. That's another component that needs to be brought into this mix. One of the beginning farmers I know fairly well, who, and as he was leaving, was telling me, oh, man, did I get a lot of good information here today. A lot of things I figured I, I'm doing wrong. <laughs> but, hey, good. Otherwise, if he hadn't been here today, he would have been continuing to do things that were costing him money, and a lot of money, too, in some cases. So, yes, it's, it's critical. People need to have a chance to get together share information, swap stories, look at other, you know, show slides. Even if we can't get out to a lot of hog farms for bio, biosecurity regions, you can still, you can take slides and you can share slides and you can take videotape and share that and have some talking. And yeah, it's critical. You have a lot of background in, in sustainable systems like uh, rotational grazing, for example, you know, over the last couple of decades. And that seems to be a real key, you know, a lot of people say, well, sustainable systems, they can be lower cost, they can be higher profit in some cases. But one of the drawbacks can be it's more management intensive. And so it would seem that that networking is even more key for a system like that, where you're really, maybe you're replacing some high technology or energy intensive systems with that management. 
<laughs> That's a great point, Brian. I hadn't thought of it from that standpoint, but you're right. You're right. Where most of these sustainable ag areas that that offer opportunities for people um, that take less money to get in, the what you have to make up for then is your management. And boy, that so that's the people skills. That's that's the knowledge, the skills up in your head, and being able to pick the brains of of uh, experienced farmers and and other experts. Uh, just critical. And and even on a peer-to-peer basis, so it isn't a beginner and an experience. It's two experienced farmers. They're still going to learn because they they're doing something slightly different. And they say, you know, one guy is doing this and this guy's doing that, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, I saw this happening on my place, and I did too, but I tried this, and all kinds of knowledge flows. Give people a chance; they 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 gain from it consistently. You'll see that happening. <laughs> they gain. <laughs> For more information on alternative pork production, see www.atra.org. That's www.attra.org. You can put in the search term hogs. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org. Or you can call me at 612-722-6377. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening.